Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts. There are two passages. The first is from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some from what is called the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, came forward and disputed with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. And in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 to 60, God continued to speak through Stephen. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your forefathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of the angels and yet have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He, they, then they screamed at the top of their voices, stopped their ears and rushed together against him. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. Good morning. The, uh, the title for my sermon today, I sent it to Gwen earlier this week, is Toes, Arms, Spirit. And um, when, I, when I sent that to her, she gave me a quick call back, said, oh, you're going to do the children's song, head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. That's what, what she thought of. And, and to say a little bit more of that song, it says eyes and ears and mouth and nose. And how many of you are aware that there's actually a second verse to that? Ankles, elbows, feet, and seat. And then hair and hips and chin and cheeks. I, I had to look up. I knew there was a second verse, but I had to look it up as to what, what it actually referred to. But head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Well, toes, arms, and spirit. Uh, the story of Stephen. Uh, he's referred to in two chapters in Acts 6 and 7. He's the first follower of Jesus to be martyred. And he, when he was martyred, was about 30 years of age. Very young. In Acts 6, uh, the story refers to him 
uh, the disciples in the church needed help in distributing aid to the widows in the church. There was a bit of a conflict between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews for fair distribution of goods. And Stephen was one of seven men who were identified to basically serve as deacons, provide care for the widows specifically, but, but generally as well. And so in, in uh, Acts 6, Stephen was described as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And I'm assuming the other six were similar in like, but, but Stephen was, for whatever reason, singled out with that description. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And the, the conflict uh, that was res resolved well by the seven deacons, word of God spread, the number of disciples grew, and there were some Jewish priests that were converted to the Christian faith with the actions of the, of the deacons. So they did a very good job of being wise, taking care, and, and God's kingdom grew. And as Wes read in verse 8, Stephen performed great wonders and signs. He was full of God's power and grace. So Stephen's reputation grew. Uh, in verse 9, there was the opposition that arose from the synagogue members to Stephen. And there were arguments, and, and the arguments were debates and discussion. In verse 10, Stephen was speaking with the wisdom from the Spirit. Uh, he had sound doctrine. He had sound arguments. He used proper wisdom as he debated with uh, the scenario. And some of the topics for opposition, if we look, and we won't go through all of chapter 7 with some of what he referred to, would have been debating Jesus as the Messiah. Synagogue members would have been debating against that. Uh, also the sacredness of the temple. And so Stephen was debating well, was arguing well. He had sound doctrine. And this frustrated the synagogue members. And so that led to them falsely accusing Stephen of blasphemy. And so Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin and chapter 7 involves the speech where Stephen went through the history of the children of Israel, the children of Israel refuting, denying the prophets. And as Wes read then in verse 51, Stephen concluded his speech by referring to the Sanhedrin as stiff-necked people. And then that led to the stoning and the death of Stephen. So we know some of the story, but, but here's, here's three questions that I have for us today. The first one, how do I respond when I'm told that I may be wrong about something? And th this is what happened to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were called out by Stephen. Stephen was telling them, you were wrong. And, and there may be times that I need to be disciplined in some way. Um, I may need to change a belief, a, an activity, something in my life. And so it's very possible that my toes might need to be stepped on by somebody, whether from the pulpit, whether from a song, whether from a fellow believer. So am I willing to be disciplined? Am I willing to be challenged? Am I willing to listen 
How do I accept and respond to discipline that may be coming my way? The second question, how do I talk with somebody who may be heading in the wrong direction? That, that'd be my view. I, I see somebody in the church heading in the wrong direction. How do I raise a question, a concern with that individual? Because that's what Stephen did to the Sanhedrin again. He, he saw something that was wrong and he spoke out. Now, I, I'm not perfect. I've got my own things to work on. But do I have a responsibility for a fellow believer to speak out and question and ask? And if so, how do I do that? Am I intentionally looking to step on somebody's toes? Or am I even supposed to be stepping on somebody's toes? Or speaking a little more figuratively, is it better for me to open my arms and do that instead of stepping on toes? So how do I take part in introducing a bit of that concern? And, and the third question then why am I even thinking about this? What's my reason for taking part in a discussion going both directions? If I raise a question, is there a possibility that I can do harm with the relationship with my fellow brother or sister in Christ? And everybody has biases. I mean, we all do. How we were raised, our viewpoint. And so as I discuss and discern God's will, what spirit is leading me into any of that discussion? Is it a spirit driven by my ideas or by God's ideas? So what drives my discussion and discernment? So to, to that first question, am I willing to listen and have my toes stepped on? And there's two quotes I saw by David Allen Campbell that say this. If the Bible is stepping on your toes, it's because your feet are in the wrong place. Also, you can allow the word of God to change your life or you can try to find loopholes in it so you don't have to. And those are both pretty simple, straightforward comments. But I think there's more to the process than just a real simple, you know, one or two sentences that's there. If a close friend or fellow believer gives me something to think about in our discussion, challenges me, I give that a whole lot more weight than just a random person making a comment on the street or at work. And if the Bible is speaking words and there's something that is said that challenges me, all the more reason to listen to God's word, not just man's word. In Proverbs 8.33, it says, Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. So we're called to listen. We're called to be aware of things that are being stated, things that are being said. Hebrews 4.12 refers directly to the word of God, to the Bible. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So I read in that that the word of God is going to be speaking to us. And it may not always be comfortable. There may be things that we need to be thinking about and changing and adjusting in our lives. 
Now, when we were kids growing up, our parents tried to teach us right and wrong. They taught us about this world, but they also taught us about the next world, about heaven. They taught us how to love, how to forgive, and they also encouraged us to learn on our own, to make our faith our own. They told us no, very possibly more. You know, some of us may have been told more no more than others, very possible. But they also told us yes. Yes, here is the way that you should do thus and so. But they stepped on our toes at times when needed. And we didn't always like our toes being stepped on. That could be uncomfortable. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11 says this about our parents. They disciplined us for a while while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so now... Many of us are all grown up. If we've had kids, they've left the house. They may have children of their own. Many of us are dealing with children as we speak yet. Um, but, but as we grow, we've grown up, we have experienced and we've learned a lot. We, we do think on our own. We don't go back to our parents for all the different questions that may arise. We've been to Bible school. We've been to Sunday school. We've heard many sermons. We've done Bible studies. So we know many things of what the Bible says and what it teaches. And we're looking to pass that on to our own kids. And so we're smart and we know things. And I'm very confident that everybody in here is smarter and wiser than you were 20, 40, 60 years ago, however, however many years that may be. But when we were children at ages six, seven, and eight, I, I think we were probably more willing to listen to our parents because part of us back then probably thought our parents knew everything at that age. They knew a whole lot more than we did. So do I have the same willingness and the same open ears to listen and be challenged in my faith now than what I had back then? As we live in a community of fellow believers... Am I willing to learn from God's word and from my fellow brothers and sisters in fellowship? Um, Acts 2.42 describes the early church doing this. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So Stephen, when when he was preaching, he preached the truth. But the synagogue leaders and the Sanhedrin were not willing to listen. They did not want to be changed. They did not want to be sharpened. Stephen's idea challenged the leader's perspective of Jesus as Messiah and the purity of the temple. So he had some specific issues that he was working with with them. But Stephen spoke truth but not the truth that the Sanhedrin wanted to hear. So, so again, I asked the question, from, from where the Sanhedrin were responding vigorously in the opposite direction, am I willing to listen? Am I anticipating God's voice? 
in my daily scripture reading, in sermons that I listen to, in songs that I hear and may sing along with, in conversations with friends who have the similar faith, the same faith that I have? Am I listening in prayer? So am I willing to be challenged and sharpened by God's word? Second question, how do I raise concerns with others? Do it, am I stepping on somebody's feet? I mean, what, how do I do that and should I do that? Um, Wes read in Acts 6-9 of the opposition to Stephen arising and how they argued. And according to research, Barnes Notes is a resource that I've used. The original word for this uh, argument does not refer to angry disputing, but it refers to a fair and impartial inquiry. And so there was disagreement, but there was proper and appropriate discussion. So that, that's where Stephen was initially with the synagogue leaders. There was discussion, there was debate. And the synagogue leaders partook in that until Stephen's wisdom from the Spirit couldn't be refuted and they got frustrated. And that's when they then resorted to false accusations and lies. But what I want to look at is Stephen's process. Because as we read in Acts 7.51, Stephen eventually refers to them as stiff-necked people. And that's pretty straightforward. It's not really nice, right? If you want to be called stiff-necked, you don't take that well. But that's not where Stephen started with the conversation. And even that statement, as he called them stiff-necked people, it wasn't a statement of anger and vengeance. He did draw attention to something that wasn't right, but there's something that Stephen did later that I want to bring up, that this was not anger and vengeance that Stephen was referring to or displaying. One common verse that you hear frequently, if somebody doesn't like their toes stepped on, is Matthew 7.1, which says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And you know, many people just refer to it, do not judge. The Bible says, do not judge. Well, Stephen was judging the leaders and their beliefs, wasn't he? So if you say, do not judge, well, then Stephen's committing a no-no. Do not judge. And, and I can judge people very easily and quickly. Maybe not necessarily with their beliefs, but I, I make judgments all the time. But should we be judging? Matthew 7 continues into verses 3 and 5. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plague in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So again, people look at that and say, hey, don't judge. And I disagree with those who are saying we're not called to judge one another. And let me explain why. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In Colossians 3.16, Paul tells the church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And in Galatians 6.1, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And there's four words in those verses that I want to refer to. Reprove, rebuke, admonish, restore. Every one of those refers to some type of judgment required or some type of judgment that's happening. And I would also argue that Jesus' words concerning the speck of sawdust and the plank does not recommend leaving the speck in your brother's eye. It says, remove the plank in your eye first. Do that first. Because then you have an opportunity to help your brother remove the speck from their eye. I, I see Jesus calling for a mutual caring and love for one another. It's not a judgment in a one direction process. And it's a loving analysis. Judgment sounds harsh. But a loving analysis is still a judgment. It's a mutual accountability. With plenty of patience. And thankfulness. And love. And I don't envision that fellowship. Or that fellowship. Involving a lot of stomping on toes. I see it involving an opening of arms. When I open my eye, when I open my arms, this is not in attack mode. When I do this, I'm vulnerable myself. When I open my arms, I can embrace you and you can embrace me. In Acts 6:15, Stephen is described as having the face of an angel. And and Barnes notes refers to that. It's not doesn't mean he just looks pretty. But the face of an angel is one where there is manifested evidence of sincerity, gravity, fearlessness, a confidence in God, and a special wisdom. So even as Stephen was calling the Sanhedrin stiff-necked, he wasn't looking to be stomping on toes. All the way up to that point, Stephen had been humbly teaching with open arms and wisdom from the Holy Spirit. So finally come to the, the third question. What drives my whole reason for both being willing to accept my toes being stepped on, being challenged, but also speaking into somebody else's life? In Acts 7.55, it states that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit as he looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So if Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, when, when did that happen? I don't believe it was a momentary thing right then. It wasn't a new revelation that Stephen had. Stephen, I believe, was filled with the Holy Spirit way back in chapter 6. It says he was. As he performed great wonders and signs among the people in verse 8, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. As he spoke with the wisdom of the Spirit in verse 10, and then in verse 15, as they looked upon him with the face of an angel, Stephen was filled with the Spirit of God. And so now in chapter 7, at the very end, when he kneels, and this kneeling is generally understood as not kneeling from pain of being struck by rocks, but the, the words used would be a voluntary kneeling 
and honoring and looking up into the heavens. He's supplicating himself to God, to God's will, honoring God as he looks to heaven. And then what does he do? He prays for his accusers. He prays for those that are throwing rocks at him, that are stoning him. I don't think Stephen had the Holy Spirit just then come to him. The Holy Spirit had given Stephen a spirit of clarity, of love, of peace and forgiveness long ago. And it was still there, even as he faced death. Now, it's very frequent that the spirit of Doug Gerber drives my life. And if the spirit of Doug Gerber is driving my life, I'll usually react very badly to somebody stepping on my toes and calling me out. That's exactly what happened to the Sanhedrin. They wanted their way. They weren't ready to listen to the spirit of God. And if I have the spirit of Doug Gerber driving my life, then if I attempt to speak into somebody else's life, it's probably not going to be very loving and caring. I will probably have my agenda behind that whole process, not God's. But the spirit that Stephen had was from God. And I believe that those who opposed him, when they were arguing back in chapter 6, Stephen was caring for them even as he debated them. I believe Stephen was not trying to intentionally step on anybody's toes. But if Stephen was praying for them as he was being stoned, I believe Stephen was praying for them even as he debated. He wanted them to hear that Jesus was the Messiah. He wanted them to change what was going on in their lives. It wasn't his agenda. It was God's agenda. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. In Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Being a part of God's kingdom is a willingness to participate in community. We should be willing to be admonished, to be taught, to learn, but also to be exhorted because the Spirit of God is present in us and in others. We should be willing to be vulnerable, to open our arms, to receive, but also to embrace. We should be welcoming one another with open arms and open hearts. And the reason we do that, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. If we're embracing one another, we're supporting one another, we're not going to be thrown back and forth by turmoil, by fear, by anxiety. We're supporting one another. Continuing, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I believe I need you and you need me and we need each other. 
Again, the title I referred to is Toes, Arms, Spirit. And having done a whole lot more writing since I gave that title to Gwen a number of days ago, I'd, I'd want to change, make, change that last word just a little bit. Still using the word, the idea of spirit, but I'd want to say it this way. Toes, arms, and knees. My toes may still need to be stepped on. Very possibly they may need some correctness. And I need to be willing to hear God's truth, God's word. I need to be willing to hear teachings from our Bible studies, from our Sunday school. I may need to be hearing rebukings, admonishments. I need to be listening for God's word. But as God-led challenges are laid to me, are given to me, and are expressed, they should be introduced not trying to step on anybody's toes, but with arms that are wide open, still filled with truth, but exhortions, or exhortations, not exhorting anybody, sorry. Exhortations, encouragement, vulnerability, forgiveness, and love. And as we fellowship and jointly hold one another accountable, what's the spirit that we bring with that? I'm hoping it's not one of stubbornness, of self-seeking. It's not prideful. It's not an attitude of superiority. But as we look to our brother or sister and, and maybe see a speck, we're also willing and ready to ad address our own plank. I pray we have the spirit that Stephen had, and I believe we do. A spirit of hope, peace, and love from God for our fellow, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is the Holy Spirit guiding my thoughts and actions. And for that to be the case, for the Spirit to be present in us, we need to be spending time on our knees in prayer. So head and shoulders, knees and toes. Those knees are important. Be in prayer, not just for yourself, for your family. Be in prayer for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As we commit ourselves to being more concerned with time spent on our knees and less concerned about the toes that we might have stepped on or you know, we're stepping on other ways, I think God and the church will be greatly, breath, greatly blessed. On our knees. Romans 12.12 12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And James 5.16 for community says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I believe we are called to be accountable to each other in love. With open arms, I'm vulnerable. I need to be vulnerable and trusting God has a will for us. God has a role for each of us. And even in the middle of challenging times, in the middle of a challenging week that we may be facing, be in prayer for our hearts. Be in prayer for our country. Be in prayer for our county. Be in prayer for all those that are going through stressful times. But be in prayer. 
And as we close today singing the song, I'll praise my maker, I'm reminded that one way we praise our maker is by showing and sharing and spreading his love. As we discuss, whether it's a Bible study, Sunday school, we fellowship, we share together, and we lift each other up in prayer.